Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you again this morning. Uh, <clears throat> I bring you greetings on behalf of High Point Baptist Church. Uh, it, is a, it is a joy to be partnered with you all in the gospel and to be praying for you all in the gospel work that's taking place here at Brentwood. And so it is just a joy to be with you and to open up God's word this morning. So if you haven't already opened up there, I'd like to invite you to open to Romans 8. We will be hearing from verses 26 and 27 of Romans 8 about how the Spirit helps us with groanings too deep for words. It's a very comforting and encouraging passage this morning and one that the Lord has used in my heart recently in recent days and has been uh, encouraging and a, and a soothing thing to my soul um, when, when going through sufferings and times of trials. Well, as you probably know and have been hearing preached and taught over the past few months because of COVID, suffering is something that is unbiased. It shows no partiality. Um, the, the pain, the heartache, the trials, it's something that every human, and, in, and according to Scripture, all of creation feels. All of creation groans. All of humanity groans. Now, while we may suffer in different ways and face different trials, different afflictions, the truth remains that we all face it at some point, some more often than others, some more frequent, some uh, more uh, outright and obvious, but none of us escape such grief. This is the reality in which we live as humans. This is not even just a Christian thing. This is something all humanity faces. But as Christians, we turn to God in our suffering. We turn to God in our afflictions. It's actually our admission of dependence upon our sovereign Father who cares for His children. Our recognition to pray isn't always met with an acknowledgement of knowing what to pray for in the moment. Sometimes the suffering of our present time is it's so complex or so weighty, or so confusing that the content of what we're to be praying to God our Father isn't always clear. Earlier this year, we have a brother in our church who I was having a one-on-one conversation with after service one day, and we were talking, catching up, and he has three, three little ones like I do, and his oldest at the time was seven, and he said, hey, I need to ask you how to answer something my seven-year-old's struggling with. And so we began talking. He said, my son came home the other day from school. Uh, this was pre-COVID. Came home the other day from school and uh, was asking that we pray for his classmate because his classmate needs a heart transplant. So a seven-year-old needing a heart transplant. And he said, so we wanted to pray for him, but my son started crying because he was confused because he said, I want to pray that my friend gets a new heart, but I feel like in praying that, I'm actually praying that somebody would die. So, Dad, how, how do I pray for this? And my friend said, you know, as, on one side, as a father, you're very encouraged and you're very thankful that your seven-year-old's thinking this way. But on the other side, he said, I had no answer for him. Um, and so, in thinking through that and reading this text, I thought, this is exactly what this text is speaking to. Uh, when you feel that need to cry out to your father, but you have no idea what to say. So I think our text this morning will hopefully help us think through praying to our Father when the groaning becomes too deep for words. 
So Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It's very similar to, to, to the NIV, to the CSB, whatever you're using this morning. Um, but I'll be reading from the ESV. So beginning in verse 26 of chapter 8, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Thankful to God for this text this morning. Two key aspects for us to look at in this text this morning. One, our weakness. And two, the Spirit's strength. One, our weakness. And two, the Spirit's strength. The issue of our weaknesses is exposed in verse 26, like we just read. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. From the beginning, because of the word likewise, we realize that Paul is actually picking up in the middle of an argument. He's not started some new thought. We know he's making an argument. And specifically, Paul's in the middle of helping Christians, helping believers understand the reality of the suffering in which they live. In verses 1-11 through 11 of chapter 8, Paul's actually encouraging believers by highlighting the new life that they have in Christ and the confidence that they have of that new life in Christ. That's, that's what he's trying to argue in verses 1-11. through 11. But then he gets to verses 12-17 through 17, where he's actually warning the believers against rejecting their adoption as sons and daughters of God and returning to the sins that previously enslaved them. And what's key in that section is the second half of verse 17. So if you look up at verse 17 of chapter 8, it says... Actually, read the whole verse. 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is key right here. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is key for believers because it helps keep in perspective the reality that suffering is real for the Christian. That pain and struggles and afflictions, those are going to still be there as a Christian. Those whom God has adopted into His family don't cruise through life on some yacht where it's unshaken by the waves of the world and the brokenness of it. And we just kind of cruise through it waiting till, Christ, till God calls us home. It's actually more like whitewater rafting where you get in this small raft decked out in protective gear. You're getting thrown side to side by the waves, getting drenched in water, and you're just hoping to make it to the end. That's what the Christian life is like. And so Paul double downs on this actually in verse 23 where he says, and not only the creation, because he's talking about creation, groaning but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons the redemption of our body so he's doubling down he's making clear there is no exemption clause for the christian when it comes to suffering when you start following jesus you don't get an easy ticket through life you just now have a better way to walk through life a better way to approach the suffering, a better way to approach the afflictions. Christians will face these things. We will face pain. We will face heartache. We will face confusion and grief and hardships and tribulations just like everyone else. 
And this is important for the church because as the church, we can't ignore this. As Christians, as the church, we can't pretend like these things aren't happening. We shouldn't have to feel like we have to come together and put a face on as if everything is perfect and everything is fine. As a church, we need to be willing to welcome in those who are hurting, who are struggling, and say, we have the answer for how to deal with this. We're not promising it goes away, but we know how to deal with it. We have the comfort in the midst of suffering. But at the same time, the church can't dwell on this. You don't want to walk into a church where it's all about affliction and there is no hope. As Christians, as the church, we have hope in these situations. Paul's actually arguing this in chapter 8 when he gets to verse 18. This is actually the thesis of his argument of chapter 8. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So yes, the Christian life will be hard. We will face hardships. And your weaknesses are going to be made very evident in those times. But our hope is not in this present time. Paul's making very clear that our peace is not found in an ease in this age. What you face now, whether good or bad, pales drastically in comparison to what's coming when your faith becomes sight. And this is part of Paul's argument on how to face the sufferings of this present time. What to do when you're in the middle of anxiety and confusion and angst. He actually gives two means by which the Christians press on in this life. One being what we just said Paul describes, that we set our minds not on these present sufferings, but we set our minds on the hope that we have in a redeemed and renewed creation when Christ returns. That's where our hope lies. That's what we look forward to. That's what we long for as believers, as Christians. But the question becomes, what happens when the grief is so strong? When the grief that your soul is experiencing in the suffering is so blinding that it's hard to actually focus on that future hope. What do you do when it feels like you're drowning in a sea of anxiety and heartache and pain and uncertainty and the grief overwhelms your soul? You know that you're supposed to cry out to God who is your Father. You know He's sovereign over all things. You know He's in control but you just can't find the words to say. You don't know how to express it to your Father. Even the words that you think you're supposed to say as a Christian don't seem like they carry the weight and the meaning that you need them to. That's what Paul's addressing in verses 26 and 27. That moment in your life when the suffering is so strong, you don't know what to say. So part of the prescription Christians are given to endure the present afflictions is yes, look to the future hope, but it's also in part rest in your present help. You see, our text states the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us. We are weak and we need the Spirit's help. Paul exposes that in the midst of struggling, we don't always have the right words. We don't always know what to be praying for. We don't have the knowledge of what's going on. Notice though in verse 26, it doesn't say, for we don't know how to pray. The issue is not how. There's no magic formula to get what we want from God. 
Paul's not saying you don't know how to pray. In fact, in earlier he says you do know how to pray because the Spirit is working in you and he calls you to, draw, to call out to God as your Father. The issue is that when we're suffering, we want to cry out so bad, but we don't know what to say. And it's a struggle because we realize in that moment of suffering, we, we recognize God's sovereignty, we recognize that He's in control, but it doesn't necessarily feel, as like, feel like He cares for us because we don't understand all the minute details of how He's working in the situation. This is where our weakness is elevated. We don't understand and comprehend why we go through what we go through or even what to ask for when we're in those situations. And so we groan. We groan. The end of verse 26, the groaning can become so strong, we can't even put words to it. We're struggling so hard to say what we feel that our heart and our soul is feeling, but we can't verbalize it. But we have to be clear here. Groaning here in our text is not hurling accusations at God that reveal some sort of bitterness we have towards Him. Rather, groaning here, mentioned in our text, is a Holy Spirit-stirred discomfort with the present suffering we find ourselves in that it's echoing our soul's hunger and thirst for the realization of all things to be made new. That's what groaning is in this text. It's the feeling deep down in your bones that knows this is not what God intended. It's the tension you feel in your heart knowing you want to trust and exalt Jesus in every situation, but in those situations you find yourself, you just don't know how. Maybe you've experienced this type of groaning before. Maybe you know somebody who's experienced this type of groaning before. You've either said or heard the phrase, God, I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. God, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and the healing still isn't happening. Or, God, my child is far from you. I want to love them the way you love me, but the more I love them, the more they push me away. God, I I think faith tells me to keep trying, but, but the pain that I experience after trying and trying and trying tells me maybe trying's not worth it anymore. God, I don't know how much more my family can take. It's one thing after another. Bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. God, my family can't take it anymore. What are you doing? God, for the boy who needs the heart transplant, I don't know what to pray for in the moment. I don't want somebody to die, but I want this boy to have a heart. I don't know what we're supposed to pray for in this moment. But even in those moments, even at our lowest points where we don't even have words to say to God, we experience His mercy. We are experiencing His mercy. God doesn't look on our suffering and say with cold indifference, if you only knew what to pray for right now, I could help. 
Or how dare you not understand that I'm in control and I'm doing this. Just sit back and let me do what I'm doing. No. He looks on us as his children and says, you, my child, are not alone. I'm with you. My spirit is with you. And that is such comforting words to hear from a loving father when we're going through our hardest times. In reading this text, I thought about my daughter who just turned six and when, a few months ago, she was really struggling with uh, nightmares at night. She would walk into our room in the middle of the night just with tears in her eyes, stumbling over her words, just, that, 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 and what's going on, Kim? Tell me what's, tell me what's going on. I just, I, I can't. Okay, well, what, what do you want me to do, sweetie? What, what can I do? I don't just look at her and say, well, go back to your room and come back when you figure it out so I can help. I don't just push her aside and say, if you only knew the words to tell me, I I would know what to do right now. No, in those moments, I just wrap her in my arms. And I just tell her, I'm here. Don't worry, Dad's here. I got you. Nothing's going to happen right now. That's what God's doing in those moments where you don't know what to pray for. That's what God's doing when you're at a loss for words, when your groaning is so deep that there are no words. And this is the beautiful promise of our present help from God that we cling to in those moments. In our weakness, we are holding fast to that promise. But the confidence that we have in that promise is owed solely to the Spirit's strength. So our second aspect this morning, the Spirit's strength. Jesus gave his disciples and us a promise in John 14 saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus promises that those who follow him will be given the spirit to help them as they navigate through this fallenness and this brokenness in the world in which we live. And Paul is echoing this theme just a few verses before our text this morning in Romans 8:15. He says, "But you have received the spirit of adoptions, adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father." When when we cry out in childlike faith to God, That's the Spirit working in us. A sign of a genuinely changed heart of true conversion is a desire to cry out to God, our Heavenly Father. And the end of verse 27 magnifies this even more for us to see the strength of the Spirit by saying, and He, meaning the Father, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God. And this should bring comfort to all believers. And I say all believers because of the, of the use of the word saints. At high point, when, when I'm teaching or preaching or even in conversations with people, I like to refer to, to those in our congregation, those who are believers, as saints. And people ask me why, and I say, it's because, short answer is, that's what you are. 
A saint is not a specialized person or a specialized version of a Christian. A Christian. A saint is anyone who has been called out by God to be holy and blameless before Him because of their life in Christ. So to be a saint is to be considered holy. And so when we're referred to as saints, it's a reminder of who we are in Christ and what that means for our lives. Through your belief in the Gospel, trusting in the person and work of Jesus, marveling in the mercy and grace of God, and turning from your sin and to the Word of God, you're counted as holy before God because of Jesus. So you are a saint. You are a holy one. You are beloved by God. In our weakness, the Spirit holds us up and takes our wordless groans to the Father and presents them as humble appeals for His will to be done. And this should be so comforting for us. That even in our weakness, when we don't know what to say to the Father, the Spirit takes our words and makes them a humble appeal to God that His will would be done in our lives. It should be a comfort to us to know that the Father doesn't just say, I know what you're trying to get at. Work harder next time, but don't worry. I got you. I know what you're trying to say. And that may be comforting. But even more than that, by His Spirit, He enters into our pain. He enters into our trials. He enters into our tribulations. He enters into our anxiety. He enters into your suffering, into your confusion, and works with you to make known what your soul can't verbalize. He enters in and turns the groans birthed from your suffering into sweet supplications for His will to be done. What comfort it is to know that God doesn't just stand on the sidelines cheering us on saying, you can make it. Come on, keep it up. But instead, He walks onto the track and helps us hobble to the finish line. That is sweet to a Christian's ear. And those of us who are in Christ have the confidence that our Father knows our heart's pain and hears the intercession of the Spirit in accordance with His will on our behalf. Which means that He answers the prayers of the Spirit with a yes and amen. Understanding our weakness and the Spirit's strength from this text actually gives us four implications. Four exhortations for us to, to, to seek in doing by, by doing this. First, acknowledge your weakness. Acknowledge your weakness. Understanding the Spirit's strength in your weakness should free you to acknowledge that weakness. There's no need to hide it. You hide what you're ashamed of and there's nothing shameful about admitting you're weak. It's no sign of spiritual immaturity. In fact, spiritual immaturity would be pretending that you have it all together. That you have no weaknesses. That would be spiritually immature. This also frees us to release any grip we have around the belief that you are unable to make any decision without knowing the will of God with certainty. So many times we paralyze ourselves in our walk with Christ because in every decision we make, we have to know a clear sign from God, this is my will for you. Which ironically is not a step of faith if you need a sign to know this is the right way to go. 
A step of faith is going trusting the Lord knows what He's doing. So acknowledge your weakness. But acknowledge your weakness to one another as well. As a family, we're encouraged to admonish one another in our weaknesses. And that can't help happen if we're not willing to share our weaknesses with one another. Which leads to our second implication or exhortation. Groan with one another. Groan with one another. Another way to say it is weep with those who weep. Part of our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ is to bear one another's burdens. To seek to admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. To mourn with those who mourn. To pray for and with one another. If God is willing to groan with and pray on behalf of His children, shouldn't we be willing to do the same with our brothers and sisters in Christ? We have a responsibility to one another to look around the throne of God as uh, one day as the book of Revelation uh, pictures, knowing that we've made it to the end together. That should be our goal. But if we aren't willing to groan with one another, how are we going to grow with one another to make it around the throne? Pictured in Revelation. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You can't love one another if you're not going to groan with one another. This is how our God shows His love for us. Thirdly, seek to discern the will of God. Seek to discern the will of God. The beautiful truth that the Spirit takes our humble, inexpressible, unexplainable groans and presents them to the Father in an intelligible way that we never could does not excuse us from seeking to know the will of God. It's not wrong to not understand the how and the why of every situation in which we find ourselves, especially in the afflictions that we face. But it's not okay to dismiss our need to seek out and discern the will of God in those situations to the best of our ability. In just a few chapters, in chapter 12, Paul's actually going to encourage believers that he's writing to, to quote, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christians should never use their weakness as an excuse for disobedience. In my weakness, we're not, I'm not always patient. In my weakness, it's hard to forgive. In my weakness, it's going to be hard to bridle my tongue. In my weakness, anxiety may take over and may stop me from sharing the gospel with unbelievers around me. But I don't abandon these things because I'm weak. No, I seek to grow in these things. So in our afflictions, in our suffering, though we may not need to pray, we lean on the help in that, we still seek to learn and grow. That way, maybe next time, I might have a better understanding of what to pray for. So how do you grow in your discernment of God's will? Read His Word. Take up and read His Word. Sit under the preached Word. Continue to do that. Seek wisdom from more mature Christians. Pray for wisdom. Think about what God has done in the past and how you can learn from that. Whether it's been in your life or other believers' lives. So seek earnestly to discern the will of God. But lastly, fourth, 
Just be encouraged. Be encouraged, Christian. The Spirit exercises His strength in your weakness. In the midst of your suffering. And He prays according to the will of God. The Father delights in answering any prayer that is in accordance with His will. So we should take heart at the truth that according to verse 27, every prayer that the Spirit prays for you and me is a yes and amen from the Father. This doesn't mean that the Spirit somehow twists your words and you into getting you what you really ask for. What the Spirit is doing is seeking to bring Christ's glory and to exalt Him in your life and to make you more like Christ. And so when you don't have the words to, to pray, the Spirit is actually praying for you what you need to be more Christ-like in the situation. Though you don't know exactly what the Spirit intercedes for you, you can know that the request <clears throat> has one desired outcome, that you look more like Jesus in your suffering. And as you persevere, Christ will continue to get glory. And when that happens, God is glorified most in your suffering at that moment. If that is the Spirit's goal, that should be our goal as well. Thank God for the times in the past where you've seen an answer to prayer. Praise Him through the good times and the bad as our text has shown. He doesn't leave you alone in your suffering. He strengthens you in those moments. He's with you. He's holding you. Be content even if God doesn't answer your prayer the way you've prayed it. Know that whatever the Spirit is praying for you, whatever the Spirit is interceding on your behalf, the Father's answering His request because it's according to His will. And you are, in that moment, being conformed to the image of Christ. You are growing in Christ's likeness because that is what the Spirit is praying for you. Family in Christ, our Father knows our hearts. The Spirit knows God's will. And with those two things on our mind, we should pray, 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 and pray. Groaning may not be pleasant in the moment, but by the Spirit's strength, it is pleasing before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You so much for the, this glorious text. We thank You so much that You do not leave us alone in our suffering and in our confusing anxiety and angst but that by Your Spirit, you, you enter into those moments and You hold us up and You pray for us according to Your will that we would be more like Christ. Father, would You impress on our hearts that desire to be more like Jesus? Would this text comfort our souls this morning whether we're in the midst of uh, tribulation or not? And would you use it in our lives to prepare us for those moments where we do find ourselves suffering and we do find ourselves uh, facing anxiety and confusion? 
and remind us in those moments that you have not left us alone, that your Spirit is with us, and even in our weakness, the Spirit's strength is holding us up and praying your will, which is pleasing before you. And so we thank you for the help that you give us in our suffering. And so we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.